Previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I tried to eat some sort of vegetarian hot dog at Walmart. I don't even think I finished the bite and I just put the rest of the pack in the trash. It was just terrible. Like, eh, that's one of the worst decisions in my life. Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This is the show where I sit down with guests and talk about their connection to sports. This week, I talk with Brian Banks, someone I've known for more than 20 years. We'll discuss how Brian became a fan of professional wrestling and how he, as a fan, has seen it evolve over the years. We'll also discuss Brian's view on wrestling today, the importance of good wrestling announcers, as well as his love of baseball and his time playing Division I baseball at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. We now join the interview in progress. Here with me, Another good friend of mine. We're here to talk about wrestling, baseball, and a few other things in between. It's Brian Banks. How are you today, Brian? I'm great, man. How are you today? I'm doing well. Sometimes when we do these interviews, it's a, a little early in the morning, maybe sometimes later in the evening. And one of those things is that it takes you a while just to really get yourself up out of bed and sort of get yourself going. How do you try to handle stuff like that? Well, man, you just got to, you know, <laughs> you just got to keep going. You know, you got to work all the king's out early in the morning, you know. Everything's tight, got to loosen up and go. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, and I'm not a coffee drinker either, so it makes it even harder. I don't know how people can drink coffee. I always feel like it is the worst thing in the world. I'm not one of those energy drink people, so you don't judge. Oh, no, I don't judge. I tried to cut out as much, like, sugary stuff and caffeine. I mean, caffeine's, like, around us in certain foods. You know, you can't help but take them. Yeah, man. Well, it's not, like, the hardcore ones. It's, like, non-carbonated energy, but... You know, a lot of people like this next year when I say I drink one. <laughs> this is bad for your heart. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you want to serve the function, so. It's weird. I always think of those, uh, the old Four Locos, those ones where you'd hear about the stories of the people who would drink those. One of those times I tried one, had to be like, of course, early 20s. You know, at that time you feel like you're invincible, nothing will ever hurt you. Tried it. I could feel it sort of speeding up and mixed with the alcohol, and it was just such a harrowing thing. I was like, oh my God, am I going to die? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been drinking like one before, I can't remember, but it was almost like soda to me, so I was like, I was turned off by You ever think about it, when it comes to drinks, you, if there's a certain drink you won't buy, like for example, I know I won't drink a lot of light beers, but if someone buys it for you, you'll gladly take it, it'd be rude to turn it down. Of course, of course. I mean, it depends on the location. I mean, some places only have like, you know, Miller Lite, Budweiser, you know, places, you know, smaller bars, which, you know, I would take a Miller Lite. I'm not, you know, real picky. I mean, it's, it's not the first thing I pick, but hey, I'm going to drink it. <laughs> And especially if it's complimentary or on the house from somebody else. I'm like, who am I to turn down something free? Right. I mean, you just, those ones, you know, you drink when you're social, you know. You know, you're out with friends at a small bar, you know. The bar might not have a big selection. Hey, you know, you can always go with a middle light, you know. Yeah, definitely. Now, I've noticed you're probably one of the biggest wrestling fans that I know. How did you get into wrestling, and what was your first match, if you remember watching? Man, <laughs> my first match is all that blends together. Um, all I know is my great-grandmother used to watch wrestling every single weekend, and she would take care of us, and we would be sitting in the living room, and it would come on. We used to watch the old NWA uh, Saturday morning, recording solely, and then we didn't have WWF, um, we didn't have those channels, but my neighbor had a satellite dish, so he would record them and bring tapes over, and that's how we started getting into uh, WWF. 
and we would get uh, tapes from the video store like WrestleMania, see Wrestle like WrestleMania three, watch that on tape, and you know Hulk Hogan, you know was everything, man. You know we used to have you know the workout, the little dumbbells and everything. You know that was a good time. Now you talk about how far back you watched it. How have you seen wrestling evolve as a fan? Um, really, man. <laughs> Wrestling is like, you know, you ever play those wrestling games with the creative finishing move? They're doing that real life. It's like ridiculous, man. I mean, me personally, some things I like and some things I don't like. What I like about it is the innovation, the evolution of what they can do. Downside to that is they're losing out on reality based of it. It's becoming like unbelievable. You know, in like the early 80s, early 90s, you still had that kind of like realism to it where you know you can hit a guy like drop him on his head <laughs> he's not coming back up now you drop a guy and say he's back up in like five seconds <laughs> it's ridiculous but you know they make it entertaining you know they still make it entertaining that's why i still watch it that's an interesting thing and because there's so many avenues to go in that direction the first thing you told me the reality how it's sort of stretching back in the old days you watch some wrestlers some moves that used to be deadly finishers, like the DDT or something like that, those would knock someone out. Now, maybe it barely puts someone down for a few seconds. Right. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. Yeah, I remember when it goes line, like you can hit somebody, go to your room and hit somebody with a clothesline, and then it'll drop for a pin or a power driver, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I mean, I know none in WWE, they can't even power driver anybody how have you seen wrestling evolve i guess is according to i guess storylines and i always listen a lot to the Jim Cornette podcast, where he always talks about the basis of wrestling. Actually, Ted DiBiase said it as well. The basis of wrestling, it's a battle of good versus evil. Do you feel like that can still work nowadays, especially as we hit 2020? Yeah, I believe it can go back to that. It's just it's just a lot of people's like not going on that formula. I mean, WWE tries it, but I think the way they write the characters, it goes against <laughs> that basis. Now, you know, if a guy tells a crowd to shut up, they'll cheer it because they're being insulted. So, I mean, the crowd has a lot to do with it, too. Like, the fans they attend. I mean, the fans turn into their own show. So, uh, they kind of take it over from the performers. So, it's kind of hard for a performer to even perform that. I mean, I give it up to the ones that can. Like, The Miz, the Miz is one of the best. I got to give it to him. You know, he still get a reaction out of the fans with anything that comes out of his mouth. I mean, the guy is great. It's like almost like the rock kind of, which is pretty awesome, but he's like old school. I know everybody gets on John Cena for some of his promos that are that sound very childish, but then if you look back, even through reflection, at some of the stuff The Rock said, it sounded very childish, but it was funny nonetheless. Oh, John Cena, he just portrays himself as the good guy. That's what he is. I mean, people don't like it, I see nothing wrong with it. I mean, he's playing a good guy. That's what good guys do. <laughs> I mean, they try to get the crowd behind him. They might not like what he says, but hey, he's doing his job. Selling merchandise. <laughs> what was the first live match that you ever watched? Live? Oh, man. Jeez. I want to say it was a WCW show at the um, Civic Center. 
And by the time I could meet the Civil Center Salisbury, um, it was the main event was it was scheduled to be Lex Luger and Sting versus Nikita Koloff and Ric Flair. But um, but Sting didn't show up and they turned up a Lex Luger versus Ric Flair and then the horseman came out and like jumped Lex Luger and then Elegante came out. So it was like the early nineties. That was the first show I remember. It's just crazy how going out there, seeing everything live, it's just such a different thing than seeing it on TV. Right. I love seeing something like a lot of wrestling live because, I mean, it's something about seeing a show live that tops ever watching it on TV. I mean, you can hear, you know, the impact, the blows, you know, you can hear people's reactions in the crowd. I think that's one of the most hilarious things, too, <laughs> is hearing people's reactions. Now, you were mentioning commentary. Do you feel that commentary can really impact a match? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like WWE. I mean, it's got a big hole to fill, basically. It's just like Jim Ross and Jerry Waller love, because those two, they were both complementary to one another in so ways. I mean, basically, JR can set it up and he can't even knock it out, and then vice versa. Now, they're trying. I mean, they're trying, but it's just not the same. Yeah, I feel like, call me hokey, but I love Vince calling matches. Vince calling matches, it seemed so over the top. Yeah, he was really into it. <laughs> you know, he didn't know a name of a move to save his life, but Vince had that energy into it. Like, he got you excited to watch it. That's a big maneuver right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, they got you excited. Yeah, that's why I was excited when Jesse Ventura and Vince did that one one-off. I think it was a Battle Royal on Monday Night Raw almost 10 years ago or so. Uh, it's probably longer than that if Jesse was there. But yeah, it's like he hadn't. It's like he hadn't missed a beat. It's like it hadn't been like almost ten plus years since he had lasted in a match. Well, I, I don't remember that exact battle role, but yeah, they were good. They were good. Also, I like Jesse Ventura on commentary. Him and WWE and WCW, I like them both because I did like him with Tony Schiavone as well. I know you mentioned Gordon Soli as well. Gordon Soli was like a completely different level of announcer. More like the technical type would call it like he sees it, like the IP knew the moves, he knew like what was going on. Yeah, nobody does it like your old dude, so. And I also like the way he said Ronnie Garvin and things like that. <laughs> And he said suplex instead of suplex. And I can see it because I think the ex is supposed to be silent or it's friend, something like that. How did you evolve, I guess, going to watching some of the different matches like CZW and some of the other things like that? I feel like that's a, was it a gradual transition going to the more, I guess, realistic hardcore matches? Well, I mean, I've watched ECW and I also watched FMW uh, way before I watched CZW. So I've seen a lot of matches seen wrestling evolve over I guess 25 years of being a fan probably more than that it's like crazy over the top characters that you dreamt of when I was a kid it's actually coming to life now as an adult it's pretty wild man 
you know, you would play those double or SmackDown games where you create the finisher. I think I mentioned that earlier, but it's ridiculous. If you were a wrestler, what would your finishing move be? If I was a wrestler, I simple where I can uh, put on anybody. Um, I saw it on TV, but now it would be like the Rainmaker, which is a clothesline. <laughs> I wouldn't have to fly in the air or do something crazy. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to finishers, they're not as basic anymore. I know we discussed that a little earlier, but I feel like sometimes something simple, a submission hold, things like that. I like the sharpshooter. Sharpshooter is my favorite. Submission hold, uh, DDT is probably my favorite non-submission finisher. Yeah, it's something simplistic, man. Like, I wouldn't have to, like, risk injury, you know, because every time those guys go up, man, they risk injury. I think I heard an interview once, like, um, Randy Orton had an interview. And he was talking about his injuries, like his shoulder injuries. And he said the first time he went on the top rope, they said, don't go on the top rope. He's like, you don't need to go on the top rope for anything. And he said, he didn't listen to him. He went up to another top rope again. And that's how he like, hurt his shoulder for like the first time. Or it was crazy. I like to keep it simple, man. Just like a running kick or, you know, like a same thing as Halufa kick in the corner. He can put it on anybody. Just running and kick you in the face. Now, of course, being a wrestling fan growing up, you know, you probably had to hear it like everybody else tell you. Oh, it's fake. And, I mean, how did you have to deal with that? I always told people, well, you know, Die Hard is not based on a true story. Yeah, I mean, it annoys me. You know, and I think people just want to make that point to annoy you just because you say you're a wrestling fan. But um, it is kind of annoying. But, I mean, like, I was like, real housewives of city A and B. I mean, they're not real either, but, you know. <laughs> you guys watch that. All these reality shows, reality shows, I use that loosely in parentheses. They're scripted also. At least wrestling has physicality to it, you know. Like, actual combat is like a scripted combat sport. I mean, it's still a sport, but it does have a script to it. There are actors. And the influences wrestling has had on a lot of popular culture, I mean, it's influenced boxing. Muhammad Ali was a big fan of uh, Gorgeous George, and he used every bit of that in his promos against other boxers. Was that the promo when he slapped it in the face? He used it all the time. He always talked about how pretty he was and, and things like that. Because I know there was um, one interview I saw uh, where the wrestler reporter came up. He was like, how do you, how do you um, like doing that fake stuff? He was like, fake and he slapped he slapped the reporter he's like is that fake oh the b brian blair one. Oh my god yeah i remember that one yeah like i said they're trained so you know how to not hurt yourself badly and you're trusting someone yeah they're trying to fall you're training like you know not actually knock out the person that you're fighting you know you learn how to throw a blow and you're a trained professional in there once you get in there are you a fan of japanese wrestling i know it's a little more stiffer than what you'd see in america I like watching New Japan. I mean, I'm like new into getting into New Japan, so I couldn't really tell you about what happened back in the day. I mean, I've seen a few matches a long time ago, but yeah, I'm really just, you know, getting into it in the past, like, three or four years now. Uh, I really enjoy the product. It's really different. It's, like, taking it back to old school a little bit, um, like what they used to do in the 80s. But now they're blending in the new guys with the new styles. Like, they're bringing in a lot of American and uh, British guys, and they're putting their own styles into it also. With, like, the American independent style and the um, English wrestling, like the ground wrestling. They're bringing a lot of that over to uh, Japan now, which fans love now. Because their fans are, like, big into, like, indie wrestling and, you know, British wrestling. They know the products, so they know the people when they come over already. And you hear of some of those guys, I mean, especially some of the older guys, old school guys, they go off to Japan and it's like a completely different thing. When you see Hulk Hogan wrestle in Japan, he's a completely different wrestler. Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, those are pretty cool to watch him wrestle over there. I was like, wow, he's, he's 
really going. I didn't know who he had it in him. But I can understand why he wrestled with the way he did here in America because, you know, he's doing it a number of times a year and because in Japan you don't wrestle as frequently. So, I mean, if you do a hard like that every single night on a U.S. schedule, you won't last long. Like a lot of these guys now, they're always injured and stuff, you know, because, you know, they wrestle that hardcore style, you know, which, you know, is entertaining. I love it. But it's hard on them. I know it's really hard on them, especially those in the WWE working that style like every single night, over 300 nights a year. I mean, ooh. <laughs> Who would you say is probably the most agile big man wrestler ever? Most agile big man ever? Yeah. I'd have to go between um, the Big Show and, and Kane. Oh, man, Bam Bam Bigelow also. I can't forget about Bam Bam Bigelow. Rest in peace. Yeah, I can't forget about Bam Bam. Bam Bam was awesome, dude. He could do, like, flips and all kinds of stuff, man. He had power, speed. He had it all. Yeah, I feel like, especially I agree with Big Show. I remember when he was in WCW as a giant, he did a missile drop kick off the rope, and that was when he was a bit lighter. And I was shocked. Someone seven foot four, and maybe at that time he was like four hundred something pounds. He was doing drop kicks like crazy. I listened to an interview. I forgot who it was. They said that when he was a rookie, man, this dude was in practice doing like moonsaults and stuff, like springboard moves and stuff. <laughs> The difference between big men now and big men maybe back in the 80s, they didn't take the fall that much. Yeah, definitely. That's why they lasted longer. That and they probably only went around place maybe once a year. That's why Andre Giant lasted all those years too because he didn't really do anything fancy. <laughs> so, you know, and plus he just went everywhere. You know, he was like an attraction. He was born in men all the different territories. And, you know, you're brought in, bring them in for like one place and bring them in for like a couple weeks. And then he'll go to the next one. And he lasted a long time in the wrestling business. Do you feel that there can still be special attraction wrestlers now? Oh, they are. They're called the Young Bucks. <laughs> they're they're everywhere. They go all over the world, man. Um, their travel schedules like crazy, man. I follow their uh, YouTube show, Being the Elite. Half of the show is like showing how they travel, where they go. Well, one of the recent episodes, they was on a European trip to um, Ring of Honor. And it showed that they went from Japan to California to like New York over to Europe, London, and then Ireland. Man, those guys and Cody, their group that they have, the Bullet Club, they're they're everywhere, man. That's why people you see all these shirts everywhere now, man. Like Bullet Club, everything. I mean, the way they got their contracts, they can go anywhere, pretty much, except for the WWE. Could you imagine living your life out of a suitcase every day like those guys? Um, you know. I'll talk about trying to get a job, something like, you know, that I could travel, like, all the time. But, you know, I don't know if I could do it. You know, you got to be home sometimes, you know, just to, you know, catch that break. But those guys are, like, constantly going. What do you think about how Billy Corgan is trying to relaunch the NWA? I hope it succeeds, actually, man. I mean, if he can get it to where, it, you know, I don't know if he can get it to where it used to be, but if he can turn it into something new, um, something pretty big, hey, I'm pushing it for him, man. I hope he does it because that's more opportunities for people to, you know, to have work, man. Instead of just looking at Impact or, you know, Ring of Honor or WWE or New Japan, you know, it's another place to go for the person to work. So, hey, man, all new jobs. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> can't, you know, not support people getting new jobs, man.
I remember we were talking a little earlier about John Cena and his character. Do you feel like Hulk Hogan, as originally branded in the 80s, would work now? They would boo him, man. They would boo him nonstop. It would work. He would be the most hated wrestler <laughs> on TV. And because he'll keep winning, oh, man, they would hate him. But it would work. People would come to see him lose. Just like you do with John Cena. But now, just since Cena came back, you know, he's been cheered. So, you know, it's 50-50 with Cena, but... I think they do something like a Hogan, though. Do you feel like wrestling can always use just a dose of nostalgia but not go overboard? Yeah, from time to time. Like the Royal Rumble, you'll see nostalgia. Switching the nose, because I know also you played baseball and you're a big baseball fan and you played Division One baseball at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. What was that experience like? Oh, man, it was pretty awesome, man. You know, we guys from like all over the place. Yeah, you know, you know, played with people from all over and you know, travel, you know, you know, work out. I mean, it was, you know, experience, like, it's beyond words for me. I, I was honored to be a part of that. I mean, I mean, I never, you know, experienced anything like that before. Um, it was exciting, man. I was glad every time I, you know, got a chance to go on the field, to practice or be in the game. It was very fun. And what made it even more interesting is you didn't play varsity or JV in high school. So there's no learning curve to use to adjust from that. Yeah, I just got to roll with the punches. I had to basically learn on the fly, man. I try to catch up to people that's been playing constantly their whole lives, where I got basically cut off, like, after, like, ninth grade. I was playing, you know, the rec leagues in ninth grade, but other than that, I didn't get the opportunity to play it. That was difficult to overcome, but, you know, I guess I did my best. (laughs) Where would you say your love of baseball came from? Um... My love of baseball seemed like I, it always was. Um, we used to play out in the um, yard, and you know, with the wiffle bats and the wiffle balls, and, and it came from that. And plus, watching it on TV as well. You know, growing up, I mean, yeah, like Orioles and Phillies used to watch both of them, and the Phillies was the local team before the Nationals came in the NL. So you, local channels covered the Phillies and the Orioles. So you, know, you watch both of them growing up. <laughs> That's where I started loving baseball. This is a discussion that I always have with people. What's your thought on the designated hitter? Uh, I don't mind it at all because I was a DH. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's a spot for it. That's an opportunity for somebody to be on the field. Hey, man. Basically, I don't care. You know, me, I'm a DH, so I like a DH. But I'm probably never a minority. I don't know. A lot of people don't like it. But, hey, me, I support it, man. That's another space for somebody to be on the team, this opportunity. What was your first baseball game that you went to? The first baseball game I went to? Um, yeah, maybe like an Orioles game with you guys. <laughs> One of the Orioles games with you guys uh, back a few years ago. Then go to a major league game. Probably went to a Shorebird game before I went to major league. Yeah, I forgot who they played, but yeah, it was an Orioles game. <laughs> That's all I remember. What do you feel is the biggest difference between minor league baseball and major league baseball, other than the talent level? Oh, it's just the closeness, I'm guessing, with the um, fan base. Um, it seems like players are like more accessible on the uh, minor league level. And, you know, the, the closeness of the field, the atmosphere is like more localized, close together type of atmosphere. What I think about minor league baseball. Yeah, I feel like it being more of an intimate audience with minor league baseball, that definitely helps. I remember one time we were in the crowd and we said hello to one of the opposing players and they said, hey, right back. And it's like, man, you could be one of our favorite players now just because of saying hello back. 
yeah, man, it's just the closeness, man. It's like you're right there with them, you know. You're seeing them come up, and it's just like a closeness. What is the sporting event that you would love to see before you die? WrestleMania. It's the biggest wrestling event in the world, and I want to be a part of that crowd. That's my wish. It's crazy. I know somebody who went to see it two years in a row, and they saw 30 and 31. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think they're going to see the upcoming one. So that's just... Yeah, they can stop numbering them. <laughs> yeah, they stop numbering them with WrestleManias now. I forget what number it is. <laughs> so all of those WrestleManias <laughs> in April. Basically, once uh, Royal Rumble hits, it's a road to WrestleMania. I don't think you can start it any earlier. Not like there's only four pay-per-views anymore where, okay, the road to WrestleMania starts as soon as the Survivor Series ends. Do you think it would have made more sense for WWE to bring back WCW, the brand name, maybe as the secondary show in place of a SmackDown? Or do you feel like that that brand was too tainted from the end? Nah, it's just, they, they, I mean, they tried to do that with WCW, but... He just trying to cash in on that, and that didn't work out for them. But the WCW thing, they waited too long for that. They had an opportunity to do that, but they didn't. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if they do it in the future, that's great, but I don't think they will. Because they're trying to get the UK exclusion going on. They had to uh, slow down on that. Because they have a United Kingdom title. And I heard the tournament was pretty good. I mean, I'll admit I hadn't watched it, and there's so many things. I haven't watched it either, as a matter of fact. I watched maybe like some like part of the first round, and there were pretty good matches, the matches I saw. But um, I didn't watch the whole tournament yet. Michael Cole was really good on announcing. I guess that's what happens when you don't have somebody yelling in your ear about what to say. I guess that was what, Michael Cole and Nigel Higgins? I believe so. Yeah. I feel like I'm so out of the loop all the times, and I have the subscription to the WWE Network. I'll admit, most of the times I watch the old stuff. Yeah, I mean, because I, I like Nigel with uh, more Ranello and NXT. What did you think of the NXT War Games? The match itself was good. I liked the match. Um, at the same time, I just didn't like the, the three-team concept. I didn't like that at all. I know they tried to put their own spin on it, but I know WCW did something like that one time ago. But I like the fact that they could pin in it. That was cool. That part I was cool with, but them having three teams, it was just too much. You know, I thought it would go like with two teams at first. It was a good match. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I always feel like the war games, whether it was five on five or four on four, if you modified it now, it would be great for a Survivor Series main event. Yeah, and no at the same time. I mean, because you're taking away seats. So that's going to jack prices up <laughs> for that event. So, I mean, you're taking away seats then, and I think they're all about those attendance numbers. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like they're all about the pay-per-view numbers. Got to get your money some way. Uh, yeah, well, they get most of their money through advertising. That's why you won't see, like, stuff that's on community or you won't see that. Yeah, I feel like even in an environment where you can't go ridiculously adult, you can still find the happy medium of giving them storylines that could be entertaining. I feel like 1994 and WWF, there were a lot of great storylines. There was the Hart feud, and that was probably one of the best feuds during that time. Definitely. Um, you talking like right before the Attitude Yeah, like post-Hogan, right after Hogan left for WCW up to 96. Yeah. Red Norman, I love watching that, you know, because I was a Hart fan. Yeah, I was a Hart fan uh, coming up, man. I, I enjoyed like what he did in ring. He had like a blend of all the styles. He had Lucha Libre. He had uh, you know the Japanese style. He combined it all with you know actual ground wrestling. He could do it all like high flying, technical. He can do all that. 
there's always a belief that maybe Owen Hart would have been a champion uh, if not his untimely passing. Definitely would have. He probably would have went to WCW, most likely after his contract was over. But, you know, then he probably would have came back. Then that's what he probably would have been the champion. But, yeah, man, I mean, that's just a shame, man. He would never got to see that. What's more interesting is I feel like just looking back, some of the guys that could have been potential champions in the 90s could easily outshine some of the talent today, which is an unfortunate thing. Again, relying on somebody from 25 years ago might not work out the best now. Yeah, it's uh, pro and con because the wrestlers, a lot of the wrestlers, they are better like in the ring performance, you know what I'm saying? Like they can go in the ring, they can go hardcore every single night, you know, and put on a good match. Back in the day, they had the better characters. You know what I mean? It balances each other out. You know, if the wrestlers from yesterday could wrestle like the guys of today, yeah, you would have champions all over the place. <laughs> if those guys from today had, you know, the character and knew how to, you know, do like the guys like yesteryear could do, you know, how to talk on the mic, how to address the crowd, how to interact with people you will see more and more people become bigger stars than you see now. It seems like guys can get in, but they can't go to the top. You'll see certain guys, like Kevin Owen, you know, he has, like, the attitude, and he can also wrestle in the ring. Also, you'll have a guy like Sami Zayn, which, I like Sami Zayn, he's a real good wrestler, but his character is not there yet. I do like him with Kevin Owens right now. I'm not sure if you watch the current product, but, you know, they put them together after having them fight each other for, like, all this long time to put them together as a team, which, you know, it's entertaining. Do you feel that if there were a territory system now, some of these younger wrestlers would benefit from it? Well, I mean, if you look at wrestling, they pretty much do. <laughs> all the companies, all the indies that's out there, I mean, you got to, like, pop up, like, almost every state, bro. You know what I mean? You can probably find work, like, every single week. The thing is, I guess, getting your name out there and, you know, trying to make that initial big contract one of the big companies. And then, you know, of course, that's when you can charge more for indie fees, you know. Then you can start, you know, living on the indies, you know, get your name. Because some people know your name, you can get more work. Yeah, I feel like that, for example, in the old days, it's like what works in Portland might not work as well in Florida. Or a gimmick that you pick up in North Carolina might not work in Minnesota, New York, something like that. Yeah, um, but now it's not really, the fans look almost the same now. It's not really separated like it was. Everybody wrestles pretty much a similar style. Like, you got, you know, the fans kind of want the same thing. Like, you really think about it. I mean, they take from what's popular. All right, what's on WWE? All right, how can we do that a little differently? They're still doing it, but they're going to do it differently, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, the East Coast is, like, more hardcore wrestling. In California, they're doing the same thing. At, um, they have the hardcore wrestlers, uh, the ground wrestling, the technical, you know, type of thing. That's big in the East Coast, like the Northeast. Like Minnesota, the side was back in the day. Now, like California, they got like the uh, Lucha Libre, they got, you know, PWG, which has everything in it. Like the comedy wrestling, the joke wrestling, technical wrestling, they got high flying, they got brawls, they got everything in there. And that's like a whole show by itself. You know, that's like, you know, got celebrities and stuff going there. It's like a, a celebrity hangout spot now. That's why I heard the ticket prices while it was ridiculous to get to that little tiny place. I would love to go there once too, but I don't know about being in that high place, sweating it up with a bunch of dudes up in there. <laughs>
As we wrap up this edition, I want to let people know that we'll be doing this about once a month, talking in wrestling, talking a little bit of baseball as well, or talking baseball, talking a little bit of wrestling, depending on really what's going on. And I do appreciate you being a part and taking time to be a part of this interview. I look forward to doing this a lot more as the year progresses. Oh, yeah, the pleasure's all mine, man. <laughs> as often as you like, yeah, I'm, just, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm available. Yeah, I look forward to the rest. Definitely. Thanks so much, Brian. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. That concludes my interview with Brian Banks. I hope the interview was an informative one. Next week, my guest will be Scott Johnson. Some of the topics we'll talk about include being a sports fan in one of the largest sports hubs in the world, New York City. To listen to some of our past episodes, go to thesportsrefuge.com or you can find them on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. 